You and I with Rashmi Shetty is a simple attempt of bringing in stories of people you and I can draw inspiration from. Ordinary folks, extraordinary lives, their uniqueness and individuality that make them interesting to talk to and to listen to. A reaffirmation of the fact, open your eyes wider, the world is far more beautiful when we acknowledge the presence of both you and I. The voice of stray dogs or VOSD is quite unique in its scale, approach and leverage of technology. Its uniqueness has led its founder, who is our guest today, Mr. Rakesh Shukla, to be featured on various popular news channels such as BBC, CNN, CNN IBN, NDTV, India's leading national dailies and led him to become a TEDx speaker. His TEDx talk that went viral showcases his commitment to the now 750 dogs in his care through a turbulent three years designed to bankrupt a multi-million dollar enterprise. When you have 750 lives depending on you, your choices need to be more than just strategic or pragmatic, he says. Rakesh is based in Bangalore, where he spends half his week in the city with 14 dogs and the other half at the sanctuary, as he calls it, on the outskirts of the city with another 750. Rakesh's journey has been full of life lessons. His choices and experiences describe a uniquely personal journey against a landscape that is in equal parts business and non-profit. It is a real-life story that is inspiring, innovative and courageous. This is part one of a two-part series with Rakesh Shukla, where he describes how he found his calling and what all it led him to. Before we listen to Rakesh, I would love to give a shout-out to a podcast series by Shubham Agarwal. How did R.C. Bhargava build Maruti Suzuki as its chairman? Or what are some of the less-known hacks of life and career which can give you the right boost? Shubham Agarwal in his podcast, Secrets of Storytellers, which is ranked 16th in India and featured in the top 5% podcast around the world, discusses all this and more with the most prolific business leaders from across the globe. Listen to it on all your favorite podcasting apps. Hi, Rakesh. Hi. Very, very rarely do I have conversation with people in the midst of nature. I call myself a climate change coach who talks about okay. uh, climate change. But you're my first guest who is in the midst of nature and looking so happy. Welcome to you and I with Rashmi Shetty. And no. I love the way you look happy, contented, well-built, strong. And I'm sure your journey must be equally fulfilling for you. You look Thank very Thank you. The satisfied. pleasure is mine. I'm the happiest man I know. Somebody asked me the other day, are you happy? I'm like, I'm the happiest man I know. <laughs> A very lovely place to be in. 
because yeah. it doesn't matter about the rest of the world as long as you know you're happy. I think that's a beautiful yeah. space to operate from. I would want to know, Rakesh, how has your journey been? So you okay. can take us back however far you want to take us. And yes, in case I have doubts, okay. I'll interrupt you. My, my, my dad was in the army. Hmm. Uh, and uh, my mother was a homemaker. And so I'm, I'm about 50 now. So most of my growing up years were in the 70s and 80s. Uh, those were my school years. And we kept going from you know one station to another station. And I think like most uh, parents, my parents wanted me to be successful. Like there's a typical middle-class template. They were very uh, dismissive of everything else that I did. For example, I was very good in sport. I was also very good in mathematics, but somehow that I, and physics. So somehow maths, physics, and football were my loves uh, in my growing up years. But uh, my parents were like very um, clear that, you know, everything else is, you know, uh, is a distraction and you need to only study and do that. And so we had a tough relationship. My dad's 85 now and my mother's 75. I think in the last few months, we have repaired it to the point that we can have civilized conversations. But otherwise, I, I was, a, so, the, so the point is that I was, I always had a problem with authority. When I was growing up, when I was living with them, uh, I was, I mean, I was very aware of the fact that, you know, I didn't have the means and resources. I did not have the financial I need to suck it up. Uh, and in some way, I was like, you know, when I, when I leave, when I leave, I'm, I'm just gone. So, and that's pretty much, that's what happened. I mean, when I left for my engineering, I hardly ever went back. And um, I mean, so we have always, I mean, we have always been together as a family, but uh, I, I carried that strain with me about having a problem with authority. Uh, and as I grew more and more it became kind of more pronounced uh, then i started working i was one of those uh, you know um, in my mba class i was the guy with the first job on the first day which is the most prestigious job so so like i said academically and otherwise i was a performer um, and i was also a very socially outgoing person mm -hmm. but um, but i had this this side of me and uh, which was kind of very abrasive. Uh, I took, you could call it thin skinned on some, not, not in the larger business context, but as a person, I'm, if somebody, if you, if you call me an idiot to my face, then I will punch you back. So, <laughs> so, so, you know, so, 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 those, so that was, that is how I remember growing up actually. Okay. And when you moved to the hostel, engineering was away from home. Yeah. Uh, was yeah. it newfound freedom uh, that you could do anything or were you very clear that the same lessons continued with academics? No, so, 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 the, uh, so it's kind of interesting because uh, I think for everybody who came to the engineering life, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm still talking about the late 80s when things were not the way they are today, there was no phones and, you know, yeah. you had to stand in the STD line and life was different. But for, for everybody, it meant uh, this great freedom. Mm -hmm. And uh, this great freedom translated basically, it basically translates into things that boys want to do, which is 
uh, wine and women. <laughs> I mean, that's what it, that's, that's the, yeah. the basic yeah. stuff of, if I'm alone and if I have the money, then uh, I will drink all the booze I want. I will, I will, I will uh, smoke all the cigarette, uh, cigarettes I want. And I would, you know, visit all the women that I want. I mean, so, so I was a very quiet child. I mean, and I was very quiet in my early years as well. So, I mean, that's kind of funny because in the, I, I also went on to uh, become the president of my college, the president of my university. So I've done some very aggressive things. I, I've played very aggressive sport. Mm. Uh, but, uh, but uh, you know, I had no interest in... in so, so the first time I drank was, uh, I remember in my, in my, at the end of my MBA, my MBA, the final year party mm. was the first time I drank because I had a job. So till when I was, uh, till I did not work and till I was not kind of financially on myself, somehow I think I had made myself a promise in some way. I do not explicitly, but I never even drank. I never swore. I never used cussed words. I never drank. I never, uh, you know, I never went after. I was very shy of women. I could hardly ever speak to them. No, but uh, you said you were shy, you were quiet. How did you become the president of your college union? Uh, so, uh, so I was, uh, like I said, I was academically strong. Uh, I also had, I mean, I think in, in retrospect, there was, I was shy, but uh, shy about women, not like I said, not, not otherwise. I was, okay. I mean, if now when I look back at my life, mm. uh, if you... If I, if there was a, I mean, it, 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 and it has carried in a professional life as well, that if there is a, if there is an official party or there is a social gathering or there is a presentation, let's say, in the, even when I was very junior, I was the guy who was asked to make the presentation, even though there were more senior people because of the confidence I brought into a situation of the understanding that I brought into a situation. I all, I, I realized very early in life that people bored me mostly. They're, they're not some smart cookies there, very few of them. Okay. But what I realized is that this, this, the, the people that I found interesting were people who were very well read. They had, they didn't have opinions. They had facts. Hmm. They expressed their life and they had a model of life and they expressed that model with facts rather than having an opinion. I mean, you and I can talk about opinions and, and that's what the online world is actually full of today. I mean, it's, it's just people just saying stuff. Um, so, so I kind of made it a point from a very early childhood to be as well-read as I could be. Uh, I think pretty much all my growing up life, I was the best read person in, in any situation I met. Mm. And I met some very, very smart people, very senior people, but I've always been one of the best read people. I mean, even today at an average, I think I read about 150 pages of stuff. Mm. Um, it's mostly science and business, but, but, you know, but being read and being well read is very important for me. So I was, and I think going in my, in my engineering years, for example, I mean, I was shy, but like I said, shy about women, mm. not shy with the guys. And, mm. and people slowly start to realize that I mean, I would perhaps call it natural leadership. Yeah. I, I, I mean, even though I'm using the word for myself and it, it sounds very, you know, arrogant, but that's not my, that's not what I, uh, that's not how I mean it. But what I'm saying is that there are some, 
there are some people who have some qualities that people find them to be kind of natural born leaders or uh, they find it easy to trust them and their words have a value and and i slowly started realizing that i'm one of those people that mm. uh, not only did i have more facts than most people but i could articulate them well uh, i could uh, i could express it well i could i could get different kind of who had otherwise had very great differences to see my point of view or you know reach a common consensus and mm. and stuff like that so i think uh, i think over the engineering years we just uh, i mean it just kept happening i mean so a first year of engineering i never thought that i would be uh, you know fighting the union election or something but but things just kind of kept happening that way and and i was super happy so somebody asked me the other day as a matter of fact how was your engineering time and i'm like i was a start <laughs> so I, I, <laughs> all good <laughs> so now looking so, back rakesh i i am very curious you were this kid who was silently a rebel who didn't like authority but performed well because that was what was expected of you everything but, but by the by the engineering time i was openly rebellious oh okay okay so i did not remain that way and i think by the end of the my mba years hmm. so it was one of those times i had there was a there was a girl who used to study with me and you know uh, i mean I, I don't know. I used to think that I was in love, and maybe she used to think that I'm this idiot and and whatever. Okay, uh, so I, I was there was a lot of heartbreak at that time for me. But but my point is that uh, in the M in the from the engineering, then I went went into the MBA years, and I, and 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 I was like a small town boy in the mm-hmm. in the MBA time. My friends. they all came from a lot of them came from you know their uh, parents were civil servants or businessmen and they had all lived in big cities um and i was very shy and 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 suddenly i was put in a situation where and of the uh, of the people in my class were girls and 50% were the boys you know <laughs> so i i didn't know what to say to this other 50% you know i was the I was a stunk tight kind of a person but like i said one thing led to another but but my my that latent aggression which i now see um, arising in my early engineering time was i think very well set by the time i left my mba and and over the next one or two years like i said personally it was a very distressing time for me because of this personal episode but there was i mean if i look at the late mid to late 90s there was nothing repressed about me it was all out there it was it was <laughs> I, i mean you had to deal with me <laughs> and and my managers had to deal with me so i was the kind of guy i i worked very hard for example in in i was working for someone else i i used to work very hard uh, uh by the late 90s i was kind of pretty much out there so there was nothing latent about it uh but but i think the challenge has remained uh from then till 2006 when i started my own company because working for someone means ultimately you have to suck it up yeah yeah and um and i sucked up to different people at different but it was a very difficult time uh-huh. and um, and then i started on my own and things got things got much better so they did get better because when you have your own setup you still have yeah. a team below you 
who has right. to work as per what you want, but they also come with right. diverse thought processes. How did you yeah. align all of that? Like I said, I, I think in some way I, I, I so um, I'm not one of those headstrong kind of people that I've thought of something so I'm right and it's it's never been like oh, that. You were willing to listen. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I would never, like I said, you have to be very well read hmm. and you have to take everybody's uh, opinion in consideration before you make decisions. Because only stupid people just launch it themselves into because I know so you, you know, so that's no, you cannot make any worthy, like I said, there is no fun, uh, fun in being a millionaire, but uh, being a millionaire without being able to meet anyone that is fun, but doesn't mean that I actually don't engage with people. I mean, I take a lot of opinion. I read a lot. I, 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 you have to understand the situation Mm. and, uh, and that is when, even if you take decisions sometimes which are unpleasant, um, uh, and and all decisions will be unpleasant for someone. Hmm. But uh, if even if decisions are unpleasant for any one person or party or 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 whatever way you look at it, you see, um, people know that this is not targeted at me. Hmm. There is a larger picture here. The, the converse is true as well, which is that while you are do, doing this decision making and, and taking information from people, you also need to educate people around you. What yeah. are they a part of? What yeah. is this picture? I mean, are you running this company just because you have the money or do you have a plan? Do you have mm-hmm. a vision? Do you, mm-hmm. do you want to create something? Mm-hmm. Because everybody wants to be a part of something beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are any, I mean, people who work with us today, I mean, they can get a salary in any one place. Yes. But they have chosen to work with us because they are a part of something much bigger than themselves. Mm. They are a part of something really beautiful. Mm. Mm. And if for that they have to live with some of my idiosyncrasies, then that's that's just as well as, lo- as long as, and I, I'm careful enough never to, you know, uh, um, uh, if you don't meet me, that means I'm not saying bad things about to you I, at all either. <laughs> you sound like Steve Jobs. <laughs> but in the midst of this uh entire concept that you are having i heard you say read a lot read a lot read a lot what kind of books do you read that when you talk to people converse with people the perception starts building in you about the person you're talking to what kind of books do you read Uh, most of my reading is about business and technology actually okay Okay. I figured some time back, about four or five years back, that um, that the social uh, media, as vilified as it is and whatever, it also is a very good filter to channelize that information that I'm looking for. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, all the algorithms that these guys use essentially is looking at your interests and giving you that information. Uh, so instead of trying to figure out girls in miniskirts, if your interest is a certain kind of technology, then it will give you more and more information about that, right? So, mm-hmm. it's, so while I can read X number of books and, you know, read so many papers, but there is so much information out there, which otherwise you don't have access to, True. but it finds its way to me as well. So it works both ways. So I will buy a book and read it, but I will also read, you know, hundreds of of articles a day, which are actually coming my way because of uh, my stated interests. So, but mostly it's 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 business and, and technology, most of it. Okay, so here, uh, Rakesh, before we move forward, I want you to just 
drop a couple of hints because today, especially now in the last two years when things have moved virtual, a lot of people complain that they have no count of time because of the social media distraction. And you seem to be taking the same social media to your advantage. So can you just give yeah. a couple of hints on how we turn this distraction to our advantage? One of the things that I realized um, early on and, and then has become an acceptable science as well is I, I will just take a step back and talk about self-worth. Hmm. Okay. Um, social media per se exists because of uh, lack of self-worth. Hmm. You don't think that you are, um, you want to feel good. You want to feel good. So at, at different points, people will do different things to feel good. Uh, you become more successful. You buy a bigger car. You want a bigger home. I'm, I live in Whitefield. I live in that field. I, I live this. I, I do that. My, this is my hair. What I do, people do funny stuff, the kind of suits. There. And I've done all those things. It's not like I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I was not born some saying. Uh, I, I remember it's, it was in two, uh, 2007 that, uh, and it was very early that I started using Facebook. Mm. Um, uh, and uh, and it was addictive in the beginning. Uh, and then I kind of started thinking, what is about it that is addictive? I mean, why am I looking at it? And uh, it did not take me too long to figure it out that, you know, when, when I say something or I do something, Twitter, they all work on the same principle. Mm. Uh, that you say you send something out there and how people respond to it. There, there is a like there's so actually that action is a feel good moment, but you want to feel good by somebody else's uh, opinion of you. I mean, I have uh, the other way to understand it or see it is that, you know, you'll find very docile people. Like I said, I'm a naturally aggressive person. Uh, but you'll feel very docile people there. I mean, otherwise they cannot stand up for themselves for anything. Right. But on Twitter, they are screaming their heads off and, you know, calling people names and you know, the whole, I mean, if you look at how much aggression out there, there is out there on social, you think that generally people are these super aggressive key men walking around, but actually people are not there. Well, they are docile people, 99.99% people. I mean, natural true aggression is very rare to find. And this is what is driving the social media binge and all new kind of media is coming in. It's down to the same stuff, which is being able to project oneself in some way and feeling good about it. Somebody says nice or sends a like and you feel, wow. I mean, you look at uh, re recently for... for uh, my my for for VOSD for the for the dogs. Yeah. Uh, I was told by the digital team. Uh, we have a, a full digital team yeah. which manages our digital presence, and and they were like, you need to you need to have an Instagram handle, and I'm like, I'm a dinosaur. I mean, I know how to use Facebook because of my old association, but I don't know how to use any of these things. So no no, you need to have Instagram, and they actually made us Instagram handle for me, and I started using it and. And one day I um, happened to want to search for something because I, I started getting these weird, uh, you know, um, because I post about dogs. So I, I was getting some this weird feed. 
I went to the search bar of Instagram and uh, I mean, all these, there are all these, basically there are all these women who are in their twenties in various states of funny dresses, not funny, but you know, really hot mm-hmm. kind of dresses. And, and I'm like, I have not even clicked on anything yet, Yeah. but it is a personality that has been built that there is a guy in the late fifties, uh, in the late forties. And he's of a certain, because of Facebook, Instagram, same company. So, so you know, socially uh, in a certain place or financially in a certain place, this is what he's wanting to be looking at. Hmm. Right. So, so I realized that if I, if I take away the feel good factor and I'm not trying to feel good uh, using Facebook or, or whichever way it is, um, then, then it is just information. I can use the same filtration for the info I want. Hmm. And that's how, I mean, so it's kind of interesting. I stay in a very remote area. I don't have access to newspapers. I cannot stream data. I mean, I cannot stream visual media or videos, basically. Hmm. You can send me a link, but I have to drive four or five kilometers to get access to that link. Uh, right. So, I mean, I, I should be, I should be, I should be like a villager now, <laughs> literally, because you know you're cut off and you you don't have access to anything. But it is not true, because all the information that I'm looking for keeps coming to me, and I just once a day I have to go and get access to it, and I, I have all the information. So, so people who are who are getting sucked with the social the social media circus, they really need to reevaluate who they are instead of trying to say. And the fact is that the scientists in the social, the sociologists, uh, there is a whole science behind how this feedback mechanism is fed to people who use social media. Mm-hmm. So whatever I'm saying is, is uh, you know, uh, when Zuckerberg first made Facebook, he didn't think of that. But now there is whole, there are teams of people who yeah. find more and more ways to complete that loop about making you feel good. So, so basically you are an idiot looking at a screen and you know, you say something, my child's photo and say, or whatever. And everyone is like, wow, how cute, how cute or whatever. So you feel good. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so it, it comes down to your low self first. If you, if your self worth is high, if you're looking for something much bigger in life, your drivers are big, then how does it matter if somebody says nice things about you or criticizes you? I mean, this is part of life. Then it will stop mattering. Okay. Is somebody who was naturally very aggressive, found it as an outlet through the jobs that you did and realized that you can be someone on your own, set up a business of your own, and you were leading this life. Yeah. How did dogs come into your life? And how was the birth of Voice of Stray Dogs even conceived by somebody like this who was so lost in all that was happening around? Where did that? I think that's a, it's a very uh, poignant way that you put it. I, I was lost in this whole thing. So I was truly that... Um, animal uh, which fed on the pleasures of life yeah i was i was truly that person mm-hmm. i mean i had to i i always drove the best car i always wore the best suit i mean 
I, I don't remember walking into a, a meeting where my suit was worse cut than anybody else. I mean, I didn't, it didn't matter. I mean, if I had to spend a, a lakh rupees to buy the suit and I could not afford it, I'd still buy it. Right. So it, those things were terribly important for me. I was uh, the start of the start of TWB, my company was also that it was a ticket to become even more successful. I realized at some point of time that, you know, to become more successful, I cannot keep working for others and become more and more successful. I mean, there is a natural rate of growth. Yes, yes. Uh, so, or, 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 or whatever, I mean, financial emoluments, you call it, or, you know, uh, financial rewards. I mean, ultimately you work for somebody, you can only do so much. Correct. Uh, so, so I kind of, so I was absolutely a slave for that. And, uh, but in 2005, 2006, and I started my company, uh, TWB, and uh, 2010, by that time, uh, it had a certain life. It had, by the time I remember, we had like 100, 120 employees. So we were not, uh, so we were not a VC funded company. I had funded the company myself and we were growing by the time already Microsoft, a company like a Microsoft was a customer of mine or a company like Airbus was a customer of mine. So we started having marquee customers. We were multi hundred people company. Um, and for the first, and, and I had, a, I had better cars. I had better watches. Uh, watches were big things for me. I, mean, I, I, I just absolutely love the best watches. So, um, and strangely, I used, I started, and I, there is a question that I had been asking myself from the very beginning. I mean, from when I started, uh, when I, the, the first, from school and, you know, as kind of, uh, you start realizing success and unsuccess. Mm. Uh, some exams you do well, some exams you flunk, some, yeah. some, some things you do well. So you realize, I think in your mid to late teens, you realize there is something called successful, something called unsuccessful. And I had a question, um, which was, uh, what is the meaning of this? I mean, why am I here? What, what, I mean, what will happen at the end of it? And if, when I asked my parents and they would look at me incredulously and they'd be like, you know, you, you'll, you'll do very well and you'll become, you know, super successful and then you will retire. And I'm like, then what? I mean, what is the meaning of this? This, this whole journey, what is the meaning of this? So I used to ask, I used to ask myself this question and I realized that I asked my parents, I'm asking the wrong people because they have not thought of life as a journey that you have to go somewhere. Uh, because the journey is the journey, right? And I think for most of us, that's it. That's all there is. I mean, uh, that's the end in itself. Mm. Uh, and 2010, 2011, I, I started having that same conversation with myself, uh, which is, what is the meaning of this? So, so I wanted to run. A, so by this time, I'm going to CNN to give an interview uh, you know, um, uh, Business India has has me in a story. Business Today has me in a story. So you know, I'm doing all the things that successful people do. Mm, I, I drive but this nice. What mark. prompted this question in you, Rakesh? You this were doing question was, what? This question was there with me since my childhood. 
Oh, you always were pursuing. I always test. had this oh. question. I I used to ask my parents. I used to ask teachers, what is the meaning of this? I mean, I'm coming to school and I will get 99% marks and go to engineering. फिर क्या होगा? अच्छा. फिर you know you'll get a job and then you know फिर क्या होगा? So what is the meaning of this? What what is this journey about? What is this? Right? And but but at the same time, I had uh, in Sanskrit the there is uh, there are two words. asakti and virakti virakti huh? right virakti is is moksha i mean there is no desire and asakti mm-hmm. is lust for everything yes and i had i mean from the very beginning i had both okay so like i said i was a very lustful person i mean but i mean everything that was you know the best watches the best the best i mean it had to be materially if i could touch it it was beautiful then i had to have i was i was truly that person and as i became more and more successful uh, then i think and by the time i was turning 40 maybe and I, i was like i started asking myself this question back again which is what is the meaning of this so now i have five cars then they'll become 50 cars mm. i have four houses they'll become 40 houses mm. uh, you know uh, i'll keep buying more watches and it's not making me happy so what is the meaning of this so for some reason while thinking of this question and this answer one of the things that i thought of is if i had a dog if i had a dog i would feel fulfilled if i had a dog then i will feel loved the way i wanted to experience love so i don't really know what the trigger for that was uh, possibly the fact that in my childhood like i said my you know i i i was i mean i i i would i would keep suck it up most of the time but if my parents said something my teachers said something i i didn't like it but but like i said i'm almost 50 and i've i've reached a certain station in life to to be able to say it yeah or to be able to even acknowledge it but the fact is that i have had a problem and i don't like people telling what to do and teachers are always telling you homework karke lao mm-hmm. so i'm like because you said homework karo to i'm to nahi karunga so 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 to, you know coming back to 2010 2011 one of the, so i have realized that this this feeling of unfulfilled this gap in my life i cannot buy another watch and fill it hmm. because by the time i was like really wearing really expensive stuff so so, so i said abhi to ek aur rolex khareedunga to isse to ye nahi hone wala hmm. abhi if i buy another car this is not going to fill it right so maybe a dog can solve it but why dog just like that so so like i said in my early childhood because i had a problem with pretty much any authority one of the things that my parents were very clear about is that there would never be a dog in the house oh. <laughs> okay so possibly that was a trigger <laughs> okay so when i was like all kids do they they are like mummy papa mereko kutta uh-huh. chahiye so uh-huh. my parents would hit the roof there like no dog in the house so i so it could have been many things but i knew that answer to that was not buying something more because buying is not helping mm. uh 
so it had but ha- that answer has to be found and by the time i was kind of getting increasingly distraught about this question uh and um, so there was a guy who used to work with me uh, his name was kashif and kashif said uh, sir uh, so he uh, kashif came from a small town in in karnataka and he used to breed dogs in his struggling years mm-hmm. very good guy uh, in the business team uh, so he said um, sir i know someone who's got um, he's got one lab one golden retriever they have had babies they know me from before we'll go and like in india typically happens now you buy dogs but earlier there would be friends dogs yeah, had pups yeah, and whatever yeah, right? so, yeah. so i went with kashif and um, for the first time in my life actually touched a dog i had never touched a dog in my life and uh, so i found this uh, six there were six pups and the mother and the pups are running around the mother and and this guy who had the dog was a doctor uh, i still remember his name dr bhat Uh, so he said uh, what do you know about dogs where do you live well, whatever he asked me some of these questions i i, I said um, i don't know anything about dogs i've read i mean by the time i'd read every book i could read about dogs but but nothing prepares you for a dog it's like having a child i mean reading about <laughs> childbirth is not the same as having a child yes so 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 i said listen i've never had a dog and you know so so he picked up a pup and he said because you've never had a dog they are all males don't don't go for them uh, a female dog is kind of easier and more attached to you she is easier to train and um, he picked up the dog and gave the dog to my hand so we had no plan of actually coming back with the dog but he gave the dog and i held the dog and something happened to me and i just kept the dog to myself i didn't put the dog back her name is kavya she is now 12 years old she still lives with me and that's how i got the first dog and i came back home uh, i remember that day she was in the balcony and uh, i mean there's a balcony in the inside of the house and i was sitting on the ground and she was in the in, i put her in the balcony because i didn't know where to keep her and where she will poo and pee and eat and whatever so i put her in the balcony and put her put mattresses there and everything but she was very scared and you know she was not coming out because first night for her um without her mother i mean i didn't know all these things right for me it was just a new experience and i was like terrified because she was so small uh and um i sat pretty much the whole night just looking at her but i remember that overwhelming emotion that i felt after about half an hour i mean i was nearly in tears and i realized that she will never actually speak she will never be able to tell me anything i am her mother for life mm-hmm. it's like having a 4 year old child yeah. who never grows up and that feeling that i am the mother was uh, i think some way it was the same feeling that mothers have when they actually give birth to a baby mm-hmm. uh, joy pride uh, worry i think it's all a mixed emotion and 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 i'm uh, people who know me i'm a very dry kind of a person i 
I make people laugh, but I hardly ever cry. I, I hardly ever truly laugh. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just unemotional. Uh, and that day was like a, it was a very moving time for me. And then I started, you know, then Kavya became my constant companion that I would carry her all the time. Like, and my wife thought that it is going to go away after a while. That this this uh, this phase will go. I mean, because she knows that I have phases, right? I mean, it's quite so black car, so this is a blue car, this is like a yellow car, this is a bigger car, this is or this is off-roading car. So you know, this thing will happen and after a while. But I never it never went away. Unfortunately, for her, uh, I was walking Kavya one day and I found another pup on the road. So I didn't know what to do with the pup. So I brought the pup home as well. Her name is Lucky. She also lives with me. So they became the first two dogs. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there are many things that have happened. Many dogs came and it became more and more uh, calling in my life rather than just, uh, just uh, you know, uh, um, uh, people. My, my parents still use the word, Ki, tumko shock hai, this is your hobby. Or people use the word pets. Or, you know, these are your pets. They're not my pets. They are my life. I mean, this is what I do. I mean, I, I'm, I've been sent to do this job. Mm-hmm. Um, so, interestingly, as the number of dogs increased, I never have revisited that question in the last 10 years. What am I here for? That question was answered the day that Kavya came. What is the meaning of this? What is the meaning of my life? What am I here for? I, I know exactly what I'm here for. And, um, and in some way, everything else has become less and less relevant for me. Because with my clarity on what the meaning for this is, the, if the meaning for, of my life is to give uh, thousands and more and more thousands of dogs a better quality of life and, and which requires me to be like I said financially very successful and make a lot of money and and do those things then then that is what should take my energy mm. instead of trying to chat someone up for coffee or something I mean it has no meaning for me mm. so that's how it started that's so that was so VOSD as an organization has a slightly different journey and you know many other things happened but my journey with dogs was it came from that deeply emotional place that I think I had from the very beginning. Like I said, this question I always used to ask myself, uh, what's the meaning? And I never do. I mean, as a matter of fact, I've had very difficult times. I've I've been arrested many times. I've have so many police cases against me. I've been bankrupt, and I mean, this is in the past, of course, but. Um, I remember the day, the night I was spending my, my, that night I spent in the cell. Uh, There was a great degree of anguish and anger that I've been wrong, that people have, you know, done this to me. And, and, but uh, there was also an amazing amount of clarity. I was very calm Mm. uh, because I, I remember telling myself that it is very clear why I'm here. I mean, this is written for me. It has been said that you have to do this job. 
so i i use it extensively in a lot of writing that i do on my website and stuff that i i take care of i call baba as shiva mm. so i'm i'm the keeper of his dogs mm. um that's that's who i really am okay can if you can go back to that moment uh, rakesh where kavya that emotion that stirred within you uh, did you also at that moment find what was missing in your life till then which was not fulfilled by anything material that emotional connect that you saw instantly and that's how you realized voice of okay why did you pick stray dogs because you noticed that they were dogs nobody cared for and so you decided that so, so vosd came later but but i'll answer that question first see it's not a thought out thing that you have so many things missing in your head and suddenly you've seen a picture and all i mean mm-hmm. all that happens in movies right mm-hmm. but i could call it a clear moment of enlightenment when i realized that that feeling that i had of being her mother and playing that role for the rest of my life mm-hmm. and not just with kavya i also knew that this is only the beginning she is not she's she's not it she is she means something she's she is not one dog she is a million dogs and it is written for me now that this is what i have to do so it was very clear to me that this is it was a life changing moment mm-hmm. it was very clear to me that that's that's this is what what i will always have to do viosdi mm-hmm. has a slightly different story so now you can have all this moment of clarity but uh, like i said i was being i was my company was successful i was successful so i started um, i said kya karna chahiye what what should you do with dogs and i like i said i was walking kavya so i found a dog on the street called lucky mm. and lucky became my first uh, stray dog uh, at home and then then i started realizing that actually the love for dogs the way that i had thought of is a very distorted kind of love Uh, the love for dogs and even now i find that is the predominant emotion which is you know mm. it's like having a son who's very smart or having a uh, a wife who's very pretty or it's it's one of those things in life yeah, it's, yeah. it's not because you have a real sense of belonging yeah so um so i realized uh, because of lucky i realized that the real problem was the dogs that are on the street mm. uh, and so vosd started but vosd is also a journey god wisdom that you know this is how vosd has to be created or this this has to be done it, it wasn't like that i mean so the first thing and i was a uh, i was a computer guy I was a, yeah. you know running an it company so i thought uh, i started going to ngos and i started talking to people and i found actually uh, i mean i still find it kind of shocking that um, uh, universally poorly kept places uh, poverty seems to be the hallmark of i think any ngo function for humans or for do- even worse for dogs there is a, almost a strange pride in being poor hamare paas to paise nahi hai hamare paas to khane ke liye kuch nahi hai if you can if you say that for one year that you have nothing and you know you 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 have don't have money but if you've not figured it out in 20 years of running this organization that you have no, no money then there's something wrong you should do something else there is no pride in being poor 
the the or crying poverty the poor who really need help are the ones who actually don't get it most of the time it happens with people as well because the organizations that actually generate the funds they have figured out a model of talking about poverty of making the money but the money actually never necessarily reaches the people so i thought uh so i i started talking to a lot of these ngos and you know i thought that was the way to you know enabling ngos is the way to actually go so uh, so i was like what should i do so some somebody said i i need a you know if we had an ambulance then uh then we could do this thing in bangalore so i said okay so i said here's the key this is the ambulance so if we had laptops then you know we don't have we can't send mails to others and Um, I do. I won't name those people, but that is the that was. I mean, we are much, much, much bigger than them ever. They were ever, but uh, the the largest NGO in Bangalore is like they have never seen a laptop. They're like can't send a fax or a, from a phone or they they. I mean, the kind of salaries those guys get seven eight thousand rupees of salaries. Then there are reports about those those people mistreating the dogs. i'm like if you if the guy you are basically keeping the guy slightly higher than the dog how do you expect him to love the dog he is getting his children don't have food to eat and you think that he will come next day and hug the dog and say oh i am going to take care of you i'm going to take of course he's going to beat the dog so so the problem i realized was at the management level which was which was Uh, you know the crying poverty and basically making a, a tamasha out of it okay so the first phase of vosd was actually enabling other ngos i i started digitizing a lot of information legal information i thought uh, i i found like i said to my horror um, medical information was woefully inadequate uh, while vets charged a huge amount of money the people who give 90% of the of the medical care are who, people who work in ngos right they are they are the ones who have the dogs inside here and they should they should be medically well equipped i mean well versed but they didn't understand medicine the activists didn't understand the law so i said okay well we'll create a website and we'll uh, we'll talk about the issues related to dogs that's why it's called the voice of stray dogs because the initial avatar of vosd was only information so only to be the voice and um, at that same time one incident had happened where one kid was allegedly uh, killed by uh, and eaten by dogs this was in 2010 uh, the child's name was sandeep and and uh, 4:30 in the night um, the child went missing 7:30 in the morning the child's body was found in a dumpster with his leg missing and uh, um, by 7:30 the cops had found the body by 9:30 the mayor of uh, bangalore had reached the spot uh, and given an ex gratia payment of 5 lakh rupees to the father and uh, by by the afternoon the chief secretary had given a this thing that uh, if the problem is not, if the problem is people are looking for a solution so if we need to call the dogs then we will do it now you are from bangalore and i am from bangalore which mayor of bangalore will reach a location at 9:00 in the morning when 7:30 the report has been lodged 
by 10:30 when 10:30 when the press reached there the body had already gone to the post mortem in this city where a body can be lying on the main road for days without being picked up in 3 hours everything has happened something didn't add up so i went there with the gps with the phone i went to the hospital from the uh, from where the dog, the boy had gone missing it had this cattle trap at the beginning of the slope so the boy was missing from the basement at the big at the beginning of the slope was a cattle trap at the end of the slope was a cattle trap and no dog will cross the cattle trap so now the story is that the dog crossed the caught cattle trap crossed the second cattle trap picked up the child uh, uh in an indian dog and uh, a child which is about 18 kgs and carried the child without making a sound up the cattle trap and walked 750 meters and like i said i'm a very strong guy but i can challenge pretty much you know one sack of uh rice is 25 kgs so i can challenge 99% of bangalore cannot pick up that sack in their two hands forget carrying it if i ask somebody to carry that sack for 750 meters i i don't know if there are even uh, including the sportsmen there are maybe you know 500 people in bangalore who can actually do it so it did not add up so i found but i was not the authority so i took all the information i found um the autopsy reports i found the 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 only original pictures of that the policeman had taken of the of the child i took it i went online i searched for people who are uh, kind of uh, you know uh, in america there is a whole lot of uh, lawyers which specialize in uh, autopsies with dog bites because it's a common thing some pit bull has killed someone this litigation is common it's not common in india but in america it's common so so the two people volunteered to actually look at the autopsy report and all the the information and and then give me a unbiased view whether uh, what has happened actually and both of them came back saying that this is not a dog related death so i wrote a white paper uh about how this particular death cannot be ascribed to dogs and i went to all the newspapers and all the channels that had that had uh, spoken and they would continue to scream about dogs are a problem dogs are a problem i went to all of them i said i have uh, redone the this thing this is a establish this is a white paper it's 30 pages of very good reading if you can if you know how to read that is but i think most editors are <laughs> like i said the average iq in the world is 100 so you cannot expect much of people <laughs> so people are just lazy they just don't want to read and so nobody carried it nobody wanted to do it so ultimately i said i will create the website and i will create a this thing and that is why i called it the voice of state dog so i pretty much did it in over one night in the night i didn't have a name on a website in the night i created a one page website put the white paper on there and next day i did a press conference and presented that paper and say, said that the, the dog was not of course nobody bought it nobody nobody is going to change their views just because i have written something but that was the start of vosd and like i said for the next one or two years we did 
things which allowed other ngos to work uh, to i what i i was helping other ngos let's put it this way but then i realized that the problem was not just about creating more information and giving people more laptops and giving more i mean i mean ultimately nobody wanted to do anything different the fact is that people are used to a certain something they just want if you give them a laptop it goes to their system they are not going to suddenly start writing more mails and become more connected because they got a laptop so so i realized um, over over the next couple of years that it was not actually m- more laptops and more information that is going to solve this problem so then the question is that if not information then what so i realized that rescue was a big problem when i got hit in bangalore then it really struggled for getting help so i started creating infrastructure i created an app i started hiring more people drivers dog handlers uh, we had seven eight ambulances at that time and uh, we created this infrastructure to to rescue dogs from bangalore um and pretty much i mean we'd cover all of bangalore bangalore is close to about 1000 square kilometers we'd cover all 1000 square kilometers and pretty much within the next 2 hours we'd pick up the dog anywhere from anywhere um and we, we were not doing rescue like it was earlier done i mean most people would they would pick up one dog and basically there'll be one vehicle and it will go across bangalore and the guy, dog you picked up the morning is dead by afternoon because the vehicle comes back to the hospital late in the night this is what most of the ngos were working on so we do point to point we'd go and pick up the dog and bring it back to the hospital so i i did that and uh, you know we did that and it was a very successful system it ran very well but unfortunately by this time i think i'd up, i had i didn't realize but i'd upset a lot of people a lot of the ngo kind of the dog loving people actually so all my problems and i have the distinction of of having multiple high court stay orders to keep myself safe um, i have uh, multiple fir's in different and uh, different police stations against me i've had uh, three or four uh, arrest warrants issued against me or two of which are non were non available so i've had a i've lived a eventful life totally not the life that an engineer mba kind of software kind of guy <laughs> does you know so from 2014 my life took a very different turn but uh, or a little before so 2014 the january 2014 the first police case was lodged against me uh, interestingly um, uh, 31st of december 2013 my company had 300 300 employees and like i said i, w- I was successful entrepreneur on 31st of december 2014 after one year i had i was the only employee left in the company my company closed i completely went bankrupt i i mean everything in my life stopped i mean i sold everything i had i mean i sold all the ambulances i sold all my property my wife's jewelry everything i sold everything mm-hmm. 
With that, we come to the end of this weekly quest of You and I with Rashmi Shetty. Do let us know if you know people who make the world beautiful. Write in to rashmi.thethirdeye at gmail.com That is R-A-S-H-M-I dot T-H-E-T-H-I-R-D-E-Y-E at gmail.com Come, let's explore this amazing world together, both you and I.